In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. One of the greatest gifts of serving a congregation with multiple clergy is that I don't have to preach the big sermons every time. Mother Becca and I get to alternate Christmas and Easter, which gives us a couple of years in between tackling these well-worn, well-known, and well-loved texts. Still, every time my name comes up on the roster to preach one of the two biggies, I stress out a lot. I want to say something brand new. I want to say something brilliant. I want to say something that's going to bring all of you back here next Sunday. But of course, it isn't all about me, or at least I have to tell myself that. And after 2,000 years of sermons on the incarnation and resurrection, there's not a whole lot that hasn't already been said. So it was with great joy that I read in one of my go-to sermon preparation resources something I had never seen before. It was in a commentary published by Alicia Myers. She's the Associate Professor of New Testament and Greek at Campbell University Divinity School. And she had the great honor of publishing this commentary in April of 2020. Nobody was reading commentaries in April of 2020, I assure you. We were all making things up that month. In her post over at Working Preacher, Professor Myers rehashes the various experiences of the empty tomb that Mary Magdalene, Simon Peter, and the disciple whom Jesus loved each had. Mary was the first to arrive. She broke the Sabbath laws to travel so far to be at the tomb of Jesus before sunrise on Sunday morning. When she got there, the stone was rolled away. She immediately assumed that someone had stolen the body of her friend and rabbi. John doesn't even say that she took a second look at the tomb. She just took off running to find help. She did what any logical person would do. She went and got the two closest friends of Jesus, Simon Peter, and the disciple whom he loved, and told them what she had seen. Breathless, she said, someone has taken our Lord. Just as Mary had done, the two took off running again. Now, some scholars believe that the disciple whom Jesus loved was in fact John, simply because the gospel that bears his name has him winning this particular race. But John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is first to arrive, and he looks in, and he sees the burial clothes empty, and just as fast, Simon Peter, impetuous Simon Peter, always doing whatever the heck he wants, Simon Peter, bolts right through the opening in the tomb, standing inside, and he's shocked at what he saw. Crumpled up grave clothes in one corner. The cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' face neatly folded in the other. And not a sign of Jesus anywhere. 
the other disciple finally entered the tomb. He saw the same scene, and John says he believed. For as long as I've been hearing John's Easter story, I have assumed this meant that in that moment, the disciple whom Jesus loved remembered everything that Jesus had taught them. How on at least three different occasions, Jesus had told them that he would die and rise again on the third day. How on the mountain where Jesus was transfigured, Elijah and Moses talked with him about the plan of salvation. How Jesus had promised to go and prepare a place for them so that he might return and take them all to the many mansions prepared by the Father. I've always thought that finally, in that empty tomb, everything made sense. And the disciple whom Jesus loved got it. Figured out that Jesus was the Messiah, risen from the dead. But here comes Professor Myers, who points out what actually happens next. A portion of the text that apparently I have never paid attention to. John says, he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. They didn't get it. What the disciples believed in that moment wasn't that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They didn't understand that yet. What they believed was exactly what Mary Magdalene believed. Somebody had stolen the body of Jesus. And totally unsure what to do next, they went home to sulk, to worry, to mourn, to pray. Now, if you think about it, this response makes a ton of sense, right? Dead people don't come back from the dead. Dead people stay dead. And so when you go into an empty tomb of a famous or infamous character, the first assumption isn't resurrection. It's somebody stole his body. That stinks. We should probably figure out what to do next. For the first time ever, I finally see what's really happening in this story. And I have to admit, I was totally flabbergasted. But one person does stick around. Mary is too shaken to just go home. She's stuck somewhere between grief and anger. She stands at the entrance of the tomb and she does the other logical thing in that moment. She weeps. And as she wept, she looks into the tomb, probably for the first time, and she doesn't see crumpled up grave clothes. She sees two angels. They ask her, woman, why are you weeping? Somebody's taken my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. She goes back out of the tomb and she runs into a man who she assumes is the gardener and he asks her the same question, woman, why are you weeping? She responds in a similar way, if you took him, just tell me where he is. That's all I want. 
It isn't until she hears her name, Mary. Mary Magdalene has the epiphany. The epiphany that I've always assumed the disciple whom Jesus loved had. Her friend, her rabbi, her Lord. Well, he's been raised from the dead. Mary no longer believes that his body has been stolen. She now believes that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And before she knows it, Mary is being commissioned as the apostle to the apostles to take the good news for all the world. I have seen the Lord. He is alive. If it were left to Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, we might not be here this morning. We might all be sleeping in. It isn't beyond the realm of possibility to think that they saw the empty tomb, thought Jesus was gone, and headed back to Capernaum for a lifetime of fishing on the Sea of Galilee. But something kept Mary at that tomb early Sunday morning. Maybe she was paralyzed by grief. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit that kept her close enough that she might experience, see, and believe. Thanks to her and generation upon generation after her, we are here this morning to celebrate the good news that Jesus Christ is alive. Thanks to her and generation upon generation of people like her, we have the privilege of taking our turn in building the kingdom of heaven on earth. May you be blessed with the faith of Mary Magdalene. May you be blessed to believe deep in your bones that love always wins, that hope conquers fear, and that joy comes new each morning. Alleluia. Amen.